1: What a year it has been. It's been it's been a year. It has.
0: (laughs) No, it has, you know, and I realize that, you know, 2017 is the new 2016. But I feel like there are some great things in 2017 that I don't know. We often don't celebrate. Not that we don't celebrate, but you know, like, take stock. Were there good things that happened to you in 2017?
1: Yeah. I think there was good things that happened to me and I'm sure many educators can feel that. I feel like, yeah, I mean, I think it was in some ways a tough year, Um, a lot of people, a lot of issues. And so it's, it is difficult sometimes to refocus yourself on some of those positive things that are happening maybe within your classroom or with your students or load that local context maybe. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, this year I tried something new and it worked and I liked it. So I ended my um, 2016, 2017 school year talking about what America's role in the world in the global context. And I really liked the way that the activity went. And so that was a win for me. And I just want to celebrate that now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you, Michael.
0: And I feel like, you know, in our podcast, we've gotten from uh, episode 35 all the way to now 73. That's a win.
1: Yeah, that is. We've had a great year of podcasting and that's because we've had such great guests. We started uh, with our first episode of the year was on special education with Kathleen Kaiser. Um, and we've moved all the way to this episode. It'll be 73, as you said. And, you know, I, it's been a big year because we we are now partnered with um, theory and research and social education. Yeah. And that brings a lot of great people onto our podcast. We are have a partnership now with the NCSS journals where we try to identify authors from those journals and bring them on. And that's really helped us find some new people. Because the guests make this, you know, that's the thing that's worked. Is we do our little intros, and then we bring on fantastic guests.
0: No one tunes in just to hear us talk, right?
1: I can't imagine. I don't. (laughs) We've done it a couple times where we just talk the whole time, but um, I like learning, and this podcast has been a real venue for me to learn. I know. Are there any episodes, Michael, that just really stood out to you? I mean, we. I honestly, when I go back and think about them, I feel like I took value from almost every single one. But are there any that have kind of just. Parts of them have kind of stuck with you.
0: I I, I really enjoyed the discussion we have with Jack Schneider on measuring school quality because it's just something that it's definitely out of like my purview. It's not really something that I think about as a classroom teacher all the time. He has a great perspective to, to bring into things. So it was fun for me yeah. to, to listen and re- well to listen and chat.
1: And his podcast that he has um, with Jennifer Berkshire is an incredible podcast, too. And so it's, yeah, it's nice to have other people who are podcasters and bring their knowledge in. But that was a great one. And I lo- one of the things I love most about our podcast is when we can connect it to old episodes. Because I remember last year we had Ben Felder on, and he was just talking about education reporting. In and Oklahoma, he about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he talked about how being an education reporter helped him understand the problems with the A through F metric that existed in Oklahoma. And then we had Jack Snyder on and he talked about some of the problems with measuring school quality. And it was really cool to see how Ben's experiences as a reporter kind of connected with Jack's, you know, experiences as a as a researcher who's really been an activist on on that issue.
0: And remember the social studies wars? <laughs> that yeah. was really fun talking about how, like, you know, curriculum, like the different battles that have happened throughout the the, you know, the field of social studies. It's just it's neat to, to get all these different perspectives and, and to, I don't know, to talk about them.
1: I think uh, there's a number of episodes that stood out to me, but one that was really fun yeah. um, for me was the ge- geography, teaching geography episode with oh, Chris, Chris, Heffernan. Chris Heffernan. And it's because I'm, I'm teaching, you know, sometimes with teachers, what, what we really want are just things that connect with our experiences. Um, and I'm teaching social studies methods again now, and it just was so fun to be doing geography stuff. And so that episode was really a, a nice catapult in me figuring out how I want to help my students learn to be great geography teachers. Yes. So there, and there's a lot of themes this year. We were just talking before the podcast, and one of the things we, we brought up is how many, um, we had some ed tech episodes and other things, but I think probably the biggest theme of our episodes this year was really learning about different perspectives.
0: Right. The uh, counter narratives
1: yeah, counter narratives, especially from um, students of color or students whose stories aren't often told in our curriculum in our schools. And learning from that, I think of Debbie Reese's, you know, episode where she talked about American, her American Indians and children's literature, which is the name of her, her blog and website, which is fantastic. And I bought one of the books for my daughter. Yeah, I used I used a book from that she recommended called Jingle Dancer in my class. And then in episode 55, teaching Mexican American histories with Maribel Santiago, I used the book on the uh, Mendez case, which really helps you understand how S- Mexican-American students face discrimination in school that was very different from the Brown v. Board kind of explanation you get. And So so I think it's been a great year. I know I've learned a lot. We, I hope our listeners have too. And uh, to kind of really reflect on what's happening in education this year, we brought in two fantastic guests who we've had before. These are... Uh, uh, I think
0: this is their... Th- both, it's their third time...
1: Third time, yeah, and so they're, they're at the, I don't know, it's Friends of the Podcast is two, I don't know what three is. I think it's now special you're, you're, friends or? Part of the family, sure. part of the family podcast community. We, uh, we hug when we see each other now. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, welcome to the podcast, Wayne journal and Nate Bowling. Hey, welcome. Glad to be here. Actually, welcome.
2: Hello.
0: <laughs> why don't we just do a, a quick recap, and would you mind introducing yourselves again to our podcasting audience? Nate, why don't you start?
2: Sure. I'm the uh, 2016 Washington State Teacher of the Year. I teach AP Government Politics and AP Human Geography at Lincoln High School in Tacoma, Washington. I'm in my 12th year of teaching, and I host my own podcast, the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a conversation about local politics and shade here in the uh, Seattle area.
0: Nice. That's Nerd Farmer Podcast, available anywhere podcasts are given away for free,
2: right? Well, you can pay if you want to. Okay. I did, discover,
1: I did discover Patreon this year, you know, where you people who have been doing stuff for free started asking for just like these small donations. Just an idea, Michael. It's an idea. <laughs> it's an idea.
0: So we also have Wayne Jernell. Wayne Jurnel, why don't you introduce yourself to our podcasting audience?
3: Hi, I'm an associate professor of social studies education at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, And I don't have a podcast, but I am editor of Theory and Research and Social Education. So we've been working uh, closely together uh, with our authors and the Visions of Education podcast. So it's great to be back.
1: And it's great to have you. So two of you have really great experience. Nate, you're in the classroom teaching every day, kind of have your your feet to the ground. And Wayne has a lot of that uh, experience with researchers and a lot of the movements, bigger movements in the field um, related to policy, other issues like that. Nate, can you start us off and just tell us like what issues have really, you know, kind of stood out to you from this past year?
2: Well, so it's interesting. I think about like practice issues and then like policy issues. And so policy issue-wise, like the DeVos administration leading the Department of Education has been kind of fascinating to watch, frankly. And then like practice-wise, just as a civics teacher, this current political moment. Seeing so many things that, like, I teach my students every day and that I was taught in school being defied on a regular basis, and then trying to, like, walk that fine line of being an advocate for students and advocate for populations and also that kind of veil of neutrality that we're supposed to have in the classroom, it's created some very interesting moments of tension for me as a teacher this year, and I think it's something that I'm not alone in struggling with. What's that been like? I mean, so um, can you tell us about your
1: students and some of the struggles they've faced in this year and how that's affected you as a teacher who's
2: trying to be an advocate for them? Sure. Uh, I think one of the things that we are realizing in 2017 is, is that our system is incredibly dependent on norms and not necessarily laws. And so there's a lot of political norms that I've taught my students over the years that have gone kind of out the window. And kids who I have, who I've had a couple of years in the past, came up on Twitter and you were like, You said this could never happen. And I'm like, well, it couldn't happen before, but it's happening in this moment. And so, everything from like the Merrick Garland non confirmation to just like the process by which like regulations are being created and like the acceleration of the revolving door. And like to me, this isn't like a left right thing. It's just like there's a kind of an understood middle ground of acceptable political behavior we've had as a nation for a long, long time. And I feel like in so many ways we're deviating from that. And so try to engage students and kind of talk to students about like these are the things that are norms in politics and these are the things that are happening right now. And what's happening is not normal, but also not trying to insert my own politics in the conversation because nobody wants to be preached at. And it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting tightrope to walk.
1: Nate, teaching government during um, the Trump presidency, as you said, is, is very different because there's a lot of norms that, that have gone by the wayside. I think in a lot of our political rhetoric over the last, and correct me if I'm wrong, everyone, because we have a lot of social studies, political experience, a lot of even just racism and race issues have been more of a coded language up until this, like last year. And I feel like this, it, seeing what happened in Charlottesville and the, the, what's called the Muslim ban, you know, issues like that, it's not coded language anymore. It's just saying this entire group. Uh, I see them as inferior. How do you what do you do with that in a classroom, especially when you have some of those students in your classroom? And you may have other students who will agree politically with, you know, those oppressive statements.
2: I I don't have a straight answer for you. It's kind of a day by day journey that I'm on. Uh, but an example I can cite for you is like in government class, we talk about political realignments and the idea of the southern strategy and dog whistle politics. And so it used to be if you wanted to appeal to racist voters, you would use coded language. Like like you said, we don't bother with that anymore. We just kind of have kind of full-throated uh, racist statements. And so it's, it's a day-by-day thing that I'm honestly figuring out kind of a step at a time. And you're right about the divisions in class. Like I, have a, I teach at a very diverse school. So I have uh, some Eastern European students who are incredibly fond of President Trump. I have undocumented students who are terrified by president Trump. I have recent immigrant refugee students who are concerned about their status by president Trump. And it's all, but they all deserve access and they all deserve to be educated and they don't deserve to have their politics belittled. So like navigating that is, is, is difficult sometimes.
1: Wayne, I know you probably have some thoughts here. You've done a lot of work in this area, including you had a book come out, which everyone needs to buy. We'll get that
3: in the show notes. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for the plug there. Um, no, I think Nate's, uh, right on the money. Um, I think a lot of times educators this past year have has spent the a lot of their time in a reaction mode. You know, it's I, I don't know about you, Nate or Dan or, or Michael, but I was surprised in November. I, I was I was completely shocked. And so it kind of, you know, took me a little while to kind of not just not just accept the, the results of the election, but also say, OK, what do we do now? You know, because um, Nate's right, these norms that we've grown up with, as far as what is acceptable rules of the game, have kind of been upended, and that's been part of uh, I think President Trump's strategy, and and to in many ways it's been successful. And so you know I kind of look at this from a research standpoint from my position as, as editor of TRC, and I think what I've seen so far as far as a year in review is that. Scholars kind of spent a lot of their time in a reaction mode, but now I'm, I'm pleased to see we're kind of in a, a proactive mode. The stuff that I'm seeing that we're getting uh, uh, submitted to the journal and things that are going to be coming out here soon, kind of, you know, a little teaser for what's to come on visions of Ed- education podcast. Exciting. Yeah. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of you know responses to things like fake news um, and what can we do as social studies educators uh, in the future to kind of, you know, slow down the, the democratic decay, if you will. You know, uh, one of the, the best things that I read this past year was um, a column by Charles Krauthammer, who's a conservative uh, uh, columnist, but he not a, not a huge fan of President Trump. And about six months into his presidency, he wrote something uh, that he kind of talked about the uh, guardrails of democracy were holding. Um, and I would say even as we approach a year into the Trump presidency, they're holding. But I think, you know, you can see start the starts of, of some cracks there as far as, you know, again, go back to the fake news. What news is considered legitimate? What you know, if we don't have that baseline of of knowledge, then we're kind of in trouble. So I think it's incumbent on social educators to go past the uh, usual media literacy stuff that we've done in the past.
0: We've had uh, Renee Hobbs on to talk about fake news, and, and I just want to put this out there. I hate the phrase fake news. Uh-huh. It drives me up a wall because it, it seems like it could mean anything that doesn't align with your political view, which is not fake. It just doesn't align with your political <laughs> point of view. I feel like there's a lot of different types of fake news, like, you know, there's satirical news, there's, uh, you know, biased news, and I, I wish that those words would take over rather than fake news, but uh, it... it Unfortunately, fake news really seems to have sticking power.
3: Well, and I think, you know, part of that is, uh, you know, I think Trump deserves some credit for that as far as a political strategy. Uh, He used that term and he's used it and his supporters have jumped behind it. But, Michael, I think you're right that the way that he's using fake news and the way it's become kind of the cultural lexicon now uh, it kind of legitimizes the true fake news, you know that, that we really need to be, um, you know, aware of and, and should be you know combating in our classes.
0: I think it was John Adams who said facts are stubborn things. in 2017. I don't think they're too stubborn.. <laughs> all
3: right.
1: I think I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been working with social media and education, and I know when I first started, one of the first things that happened to me is I found our SS Chat community online and it was such a positive space and it's led to this podcast long long down the road um but you know we're now grappling really with with some of the complexities and I don't think social media is good or bad um I always think those are problematic statements I mean you could make an argument it's tilting us in a good or bad direction overall but I think that's a difficult thing Nate what how, how do you have you been dealing with tweets and And, you know, the, the rise of kind of, you know, the legitimization, I guess, by like people like Trump and stuff who, who are like listening to stuff that comes from Infowars or Breitbart, which just don't have the same type of, I mean, I think that's a big conversation, right? That journalism's never been perfect, but where we conflate that this idea that a journalist making a mistake is the same as a whole website that's like, doesn't even follow those basic principles.
2: Well, there's two things that come to mind. Andrew Sullivan has written about the democratization of media that the internet creates. And so a, a wacko in a garage via, via retweets can have the same uh, audience as the New York times. And that's something that we don't have an answer for. Like the gatekeepers that we had in media are dead. And then also Michael mentioned like the problem with the term fake news. You mentioned the episode with Renee. Uh, I think my co-teacher, Annie Jansen was on the episode as well. And so what we she did in talking about fake. Yeah. And so we built an entire unit about fake news. And so what we do is we differentiate between fake news, which is like the info wars. And then we also uh, explain how satire is different. And so a lot of people who don't understand the difference call satire fake news. Like the Daily Show isn't fake news. John Oliver isn't fake news. It's satire. And so like showing students concretely, there's satire, there's fake news, and there's clickbait. I think one word that that needs to come back in the conversation, though, frankly, given what we're seeing is propaganda. Like, InfoWars is right wing propaganda. And on the left, we have the same, we have the same problem. Like, democratic underground and there's some other illegitimate left sites are the same thing. But just the word, just the idea that like, we live in an era in which people have unlimited access to information, but also limited access to curation creates a problem that like, we have to overcome as classroom teachers and have to teach students to be savvy consumers of knowledge. It does remind me
1: of some issues historically, because when we do think about this delegitimization of the media, that is a little scary because you know how important the media is to good governance and transparency and things like that. Um, But, you know, some of these issues are not 100 percent completely new. Obviously, Nixon um, had an element of delegitimizing the media. I'm sure it's come up in other times in U.S. history. And then we know of
0: the sedition acts.
1: Yeah, sedition acts, yellow journalism. And so there have been some of these threats. And I even think about how the gatekeeper role of the media, you know, there's been huge problems with that. I mean, people of color were left out of that for a long time, which was why black newspapers were so important and and other newspapers in those communities because the stories I remember in college, one of the best assignments I had was we had to follow a World War II story from periodicals. And I chose the Oklahoma City Black Dispatch because I was just curious. No one had ever shown it to me. And I saw it on the list of newspapers in the library. And it was absolutely fascinating to see the difference in the topics that were being discussed between the Oklahoma City Black Dispatch and the other major papers of the time. And so we faced media issues before. Um, and I wonder what social studies teachers can do to think of that continuity and change. Um, what's different about what's happening now? And the social media component maybe is the most complex thing um, that's different.
3: Well, I think, you know, one thing that we have to cha- is changing the conversation. In the past, we've talked about media bias. Well, media bias is different than fake news. And I think that's one thing that Trump's been able to uh, do is say, oh, if you find a site that's biased, it's automatically fake news. Well, the New York Times might be biased a little bit toward the left. The Wall Street Journal might be biased a little bit toward the right. But those are two legitimate news sources. Right. Um, whereas something like Infowars, that's not legitimate. I mean, it, it, forget being a propaganda machine. It's just incorrect facts, and so you know this. And you know this in this era of alternative facts and you know making up things that just are verifiably you know untrue. That's where I think we we need to focus the our attention of what's what's truly fake and what's bias, and make that distinction between with our students.
2: I think one of the dangers that we have is is. It's one thing to have ideological news, and that's normal in other countries. Like in the UK, there's conservative papers and there's liberal papers and there's centrist papers. But the idea that we have media outlets that are partisan is very, very different and much more destructive to the democracy. And so the idea that like when George Bush was using drones, it was okay. When Barack Obama was using drones, it was an affront to civil liberties. Now that uh, Donald Trump using drones, they're okay again. Like that is something we've seen happen in media that is destructive to our, to our, to our society. And we have to teach students to recognize those inconsistencies and combat them.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a question everyone should ask themselves. Right. I've really tried to ask myself, what issues am I not understanding to um, do I only get fired up about, you know, uh, immigration issues when it's um, a president I don't agree with? Or or do I have a concern about those issues all the time, Um, even though you do see while you see changes, you also see some continuity in policies through some presidents. I think so what what do we see teachers doing? I mean, Nate, you guys are doing some stuff. What what have you done in your classroom? Wayne, what are I mean, to tease a little bit some of the new research or or things you've heard, um, what are some things that teachers are doing to address this issue of credibility and fake news and whatever else we want to call it? Sorry, Michael, I'll quit using that term.
2: Um <laughs> uh, I have created curated Twitter listing my students of news sources I think are worthwhile. And I have uh, conservative sites on there like the National Review. And then more progressive sites like the Atlantic Magazine, uh, and I also have spent a lot of time talking with my students about being active consumers of news. So instead of relying on social media algorithms to feed them news, going out to news sites and to, and and looking at what's being said on the Washington Post or or the the L.A. Times, whatever paper you want to choose. Uh, I think another important issue is is that we have to get students to when they see fake news being shared to instead of sharing that on to. So, I tell my students in class, like, if you see somebody sharing some news and, like, based on what you've been taught, you know it's fake, just DM the person who put it up there and say, fam, that's fake news, right? Like, you don't have to get a long political argument with them. Just send, tell them it's fake news and, like, send a link to – send a Snopes link. And it's just little things like that that if we can systematize them and teach students to do that, we can get better at this. It's frustrating to me. Like, I'm, I'm a 38-year-old man, and, like, I see <laughs> friends I know who are college-educated posting stuff and sharing stuff, and I'm like, what are you doing? That's fake news. Be better.
0: I've tried. I've tried exactly that, uh, and I've yeah. I, I've sent them links. I'm like, no, this is factually incorrect, and then I lost a friend.
1: It's I. I it's happened over the over the last few years. Um, there's a couple people that I've lost. I've reflected a lot on why that happened. In cases, I just thought it took too much of my time and energy away, and I. But I. I there's got to be different ways to handle it. By the way, I'm I'm really thinking about my next research projects, and Wayne, maybe you can. Direct me towards this. Although maybe I shouldn't say this on the air because everyone may steal my ideas. <laughs> right. But I've really been thinking about the the how do we have civic dialogue on Facebook? Like, what does it mean? What are practices that are good? And I and, and so Nate, well, but Nate, you gave a maybe we can't do it perfectly, but you just gave a good suggestion about considering when to send a private DM. Um, I've seen some other interesting practices. I had a a professor I had in college, and he has a habit of he posts lots of stuff. Now maybe this is partially because he's already really well respected that this works well. But he what he does that I've stolen is posting quotes from the article because a lot of people will judge the article based on the title and source right away. And so what I do is post a couple sentences. And then I've just tried to steal some of that stuff in the social studies by redirecting the conversations back to the text. Uh, you know, that's an interesting point you made, but that's not really in this article. I'd love to discuss the article I posted <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and see if I can redirect my off-topic friends uh, but I don't know if it works. And so I've been really interested in maybe doing a, some studies to try to figure out what that looks like or what are things that can help us be a little better, even if it's not going to figure it out.
3: I think one of the things that I think is exciting about where we're going to from, from here that going back to what I said about being progressive, I think that a lot of times in social studies research, we've been focusing a lot on what teachers do, what teachers can do without really taking the necessary step to look at what do students do? And how do, they, how do they go about um, understanding this information? And there's three great studies that are getting ready to come out on, in TRSE. So here's a, here's a plug. One of them's already up there on the, um, on the website. Tamara uh, Schreiner has done a, a great study on uh, how students uh, understand visual literacy uh, in textbooks. She studied over 3,000 textbooks and looked at the visuals in all the textbooks and how students can um, understand those and the, t- the complexities that are about it. Um, also, uh, the Stanford History Group, uh, Sarah McGrew, uh, Sam Weinberg, Teresa Ortega, uh, Joel Breakstone, and Mark Smith, uh, they have done a huge study of civic online reasoning, and uh, spoiler alert, their findings are not good <laughs> for uh, democracy. They did studies from with middle school students, high school students, and college students. And found out that when uh, students look by, look at information online, they are not good at determining fact versus fiction. And then um, another study is by a group at Michigan State: Margaret Krakow, Abner Segal, Annalise Halverson, and Rebecca Jacobson are publishing something in TRC, looking at how students evaluate evidence—not just online evidence, but evidence in general. And what they have found is students tend to place a lot of emphasis on anecdotal evidence in certain contexts. Um, they also tend to place a lot of uh, emphasis on uh, fact-based evidence in certain contexts. It all depends on the context and what they're looking at. Is it an abstract argument or is it something that they actually have fact-based argument uh, with? So, you know, I think one of the things that we need to move on from here is couple this, these this conversation of what teachers can do with what students are able to understand. And then we kind of meet in the middle and figure out this is where the students are. What can the teachers do to kind of improve that knowledge? You know, going back to, you know, Vygotsky, you know, <laughs> thinking about w- where students are and where we can get them to go. Uh, because I think, you know, part of the conversation that we've been having over the past year is, oh, my God, what do we do? Well, I think we need to take a step back and say, you know, where are the students at? Um, and, you know, what kind of instruction can we provide as social studies teachers that will help this democratic uh, process?
1: And I think it's interesting because we are getting different approaches and we do have some of those people scheduled already for visions of education. So that was a nice preview Wayne Mm -hmm. uh, of upcoming episodes. But I remember just thinking about too, the, you know, the civic online reasoning curriculum that the Stanford district education group has come out with, um, does a good job of giving teachers something that's really easy to use in their Mm -hmm. classroom. You know, it has it ready for you. And, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's got very specific skills you can build. But then I've also seen some cool research at um, when I was at Kufa, which we in our episode 71, we did a, a review of Kufa and NCSS. Um, one of the sessions I was on Ellen Middow was on that and she's mm-hmm. doing some really cool research that I like. It's not just about what can they do within this context we provide them, but can they figure out how to make sense of, of online spaces themselves? You know, it's kind of the old, we always do surveys and, and say that kids don't know anything, but then we never actually do any assessments that just ask them what they do know. Um, <laughs> and so I like to see these different approaches about both these kind of specific close-ended tasks where we can work on skills, and then these bigger tasks about asking kids how they make sense of online spaces. What would you do if you wanted to be an activist on this cause? Go show me what you would do to go online. And so it's cool to see these different studies coming out. Uh, but you know, we got to work with teachers and figure out what teachers are doing. You know, I think Nate is a great example of somebody who's, who's working at it every day and trying to figure it out. And of course he has his own podcast and I'm sure he's talking about it there. So everyone should, another reminder to subscribe to his podcast.
2: One thing I think is really important for me as a civil educator is the importance of civil liberties. So as somebody who works at a low income school, that's highly diverse, uh, the things that I'm teaching about fourth amendment search and seizure and what the government can and can't do aren't like abstract things are very real life things. Um, I, and and I think just endowing students with an understanding of a, the complexity of the world and b the unpredictability of our near future. I think is really important, but at the same time, like that shouldn't be like a scary, terrifying thing to students. We shouldn't be trying to just browbeat them in a submission about how bad the world's going to be, but like our near future is uncertain. One of the examples of the norms that I meant to mention earlier on that really hit me in January was Electoral College. So we tell kids in class that like, basically the electors vote, sorry, that the people vote, and the electors do whatever the people vote for their state. And they don't have to do that, but they always do. But in this last election, we had more faithless electors than we've had in any election in the last 100 years. Like just that kind of thing. And that. so that means that the teaching that we're doing has to be – uh, relevant and tied to the moment, and we need to be bringing outside sources and, and modern sources in. Like, I, I'm not gonna lie, the book that I have in my classroom that I'm expected to use is from like 2007, and so I'm constantly pulling and plugging resources in. And that's the work of teaching. And like, teacher leaders need to be sharing that work with other folks because uh, every not everybody has the time to go out and curate like I do, or has the bandwidth to do that. So it's important that people who are operating on the level that I am uh, share their work publicly.
1: You know, one thing I've been thinking about during this whole discussion is as we focus on um, some of the issues that have come up is it, it brings up issues of curriculum, of of what should we teach in social studies? Because I think one of the hardest things for teachers is they often face pressures just to go back to the kind of routinized, you know, year by year chronological move forward curriculum. And that can be really stifling to actually addressing these issues and help them developing these skills. Schools just don't change quick. You know, curriculum does not change quick. Like society changes, especially now quickly, but we don't. I don't know. Is there, do we have any ideas or tips? I mean, in government class, Nate, it's a little bit easier to do this stuff. It's not easy, I guess I would say, but you can try to do it. But in your world history classes, how do you address, you know, uh, these same issues, these skills kids need immediately to be, to to start developing?
2: How do we do that? So, it's the, So the issue is, what are the skills that they need? And also, what are the content sources that they need? And so I found that podcasts are actually uh, a great source. Like, I can send a student to listen to a podcast episode for homework and then come and have a classroom conversation about it. Uh, it's funny. Frankly, for my human geography class, if I had every student have a subscription to The Economist magazine, I'd be fine, right? Like, the, the information's out there, but we just lack the flexibility to go out and get the information uh, for students to put it in their hands as far as like student skills though uh it's been mentioned earlier on the ability to look at sources and like determine which sources are authentic and worthwhile sources i think is the most important skills for students to have uh, and i also think the ability for students to synthesize multiple multiple points of view to be able to read a george will article to be able to read a uh an article from their local newspaper and then see the Chris Hayes report on, on MSNBC. And from that discern their own like version of what's happening that's fact based, I think is a really super important skill that synthesis skill. And it's something that's like pushed uh, a little bit in the advanced placement cur- curriculum, but not as much as it needs to be. I remember Sean
1: McCusker really was the one who first pointed me on at that because I think I was one of those teachers who probably was fearful of the controversy in the classroom early in my career and I remember Sean just saying, well, like, just show them opposite points of view and the absurdity brings itself out. Like everyone will kind of realize it's absurd how different these narratives on the same issue will be. Um, and it kind of gave me the the you know courage to do a little bit better about finding those different sources, bringing them in and then moving forward from
3: there.
2: I would just say to new teachers, if you're listening, like if you're like embrace the controversy, uh, because that controversy is authentic and it drives student engagement.
3: 300 percent. and And the research backs it up. So,
1: what do we want to happen in 2018 if we have some hopes? So, 2017 obviously is a year of, uh, for social studies teachers, which this is probably episodes going to appeal to social studies teachers. It's been a year <laughs> of figuring out how to make sense of norms, current events, and, and media, um, how to consume and produce media. Uh, what, what do we hope for in 2018? Any personal hopes or just hopes for the field? I personally
2: hope that we have a change in leadership in the federal department of education. Uh, and I hope that some of these ESSA plans that have been produced uh, by the states lead to meaningful goals and meaningful outcomes for students. Uh, I'm actually really excited about the work that I'm seeing some of the ESSA plans and the idea that we're moving away from accountability based strictly on math and reading performance and moving to more like whole student, whole child kind of stuff. And I think that, that freedom that we're moving away from just test-based accountability is actually going to empower and invigorate a lot of teachers.
0: I know that this past year, it seems like it's almost been a fire drill every time something happens in the news uh, in which like all social studies teachers are like trying to get together to figure out how to cover it. I hope that we move past that and we try to move to a place where we keep space in our curriculum open so we can actually have those, you know, conversation about what's going on rather than, you know, it just being this, you know, this Tuesday, the day after it happened but instead of like you know just having these really deliberate spaces for teachers to teachers and students to come around and discuss what's going on.
1: You know, I'm just excited for another year of podcasting, Michael. Um I really do I, I highly recommend people, you know, I know it seems like a lot of effort and work and maybe it's not something Michael and I try to do it every week. We um with new child in hand for Michael and a new job for me, we were, we didn't get out as many episodes this semester as we would have liked, but Whenever I do them, I just come away having learned a lot. And so I think it's a, a great practice to just be able to have conversations. A lot of us have conversations with people um, about the things we'd like to see in education, about what they've been working on. Um, and so I encourage people, start your own little podcast, even if it's just once a month or every two months. Am I creating too much competition, Michael?
2: <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Or we Speaking just have a salon. Pod- <laughs> Speaking to the power of podcast, like I think I'm at a point now where I've learned more from the podcasts I've listened to over the last four years than I learned in my four years in college. Like, honestly, if I think back about how many hardcore history episodes, like the ed policy stuff I've listened to uh conversation about history, like podcasts are actually a really amazing uh, medium for communicating information. And I would say to teachers, if you're not integrating in your classroom, you should.
0: All right, Wayne, take us
3: home. You know, it's like I said, I, I'm hopeful that 2018 will be a more progressive year uh, and less of a reactive year. I, I want to see the, both the scholarship and the teaching in classrooms, like Michael, you said, not reacting to every single tweet or thing that might happen. Um, you have a tendency to just get burned out if, that, if you keep doing it that way. Um, instead, focus on the ways you can educate for democracy in, in your classrooms and, uh, in terms of research, you know, make your research, put it out there, but also make it to the point where, you know, publishing in venues uh, like TRC, but also in venues that, that teachers will actually read and and get on podcasts like the Visions of Education podcast. You know, this is one of the, the most exciting things that that I've, I've done as, since becoming editor of TRC, because I, I truly believe that as a scholar, what I do, I, I like to have at least the idea that the research that I do Gets to the people that I would like to think need it or use it, uh, and uh, and I know the teachers don't always have the, the time or, or energy to read dense journals like TRC, but if they can download a podcast, they can listen to that on their their free time, and it comes across in a in an easy conversational manner. So uh, let's keep on doing what we're doing, and, and you know, do even more in 2018.
1: And you know, we we love to have great teachers on too, and I'll say this for as being someone in higher ed. Talking to teachers is so important to keep to remember what we can do in schools, the challenges that teachers face, because we can come up with a curriculum we want to teach or whatever all day. But if it's teachers feel constrained or then it's hard to do it. But, um, you know, teaching backwards is a a strategy that maybe is more necessary now than ever. Right. Instead of like saying this doesn't fit, maybe you have to just bring in what's happening now and then try to find some thematic connections to your curriculum um, as opposed to just waiting and waiting until something fits in. I don't know. Let's make a difference this year.
3: And I'll just jump in and add that uh, from an academic side, talking to teachers like Nate who are kicking ass and taking names in their classroom is energizing. Um, and, you know, I, I, I salute Nate and, and the teachers who are, who are embracing the controversy and, uh, you know, not back and not shying away from it in their classroom. Cause unfortunately with my pre-service teachers and the teachers that I see in the field, a lot of them say, I'm not going to touch that. well, Nothing's going to change unless we have the courage to go out and and address the controversy in our classrooms. All right. All
1: right. Yeah, there we go. Well, to um, thank you guys for participating on all the episodes you've been on and and helping us think about some of these issues from 2017. And Happy New Year to everyone.
3: Happy New Year. Yep, Happy New Year. Thanks for having us.
1: So Wayne and Nate, just as a reminder again, where can our listeners find you and your work online?
2: They can find my writing at natebolling.com, and they can find my Nerd Farmer podcast at nateboling.com slash podcast. And I'm very prolific on Twitter. They can follow me at Nate underscore Bowling on Twitter. All right.
3: And you can find me at the uh, University of North Carolina Gr- at Greensboro uh, website. And I'm also on Twitter at UNCG Social Studies. Uh, so it's up it'll be posted on the Visions of Education uh website. So feel free to give me a follow. And what's the name of your book? Uh the book that was just released um, with SUNY Press, uh Teaching Politics in Secondary Education, Engaging with Contentious Issues. So it's a real page turner, so feel free to uh, <laughs> It, the, the it is
1: very good. You've done Wayne I don't know how you get all this stuff out you do, but it's all high quality. And so I highly recommend your book and we'll get that linked in the show notes.
3: Well, and I will uh, give a plug for a future book. Um, I've got a edited book in the works on fake news and I've got uh, chapters uh, from the Sanford History Group and the group from Michigan State, as well as J- Joe Kane and some other great, uh, Ashley Woodson, uh, LeGarrett King, some other great uh, people in social studies education. Oh, we so love I'm really, Yeah, I- I'm really looking forward to that. And that's supposed to be sent to the publisher by May 1st. So you'll hopefully see that sometime in 2018. All
1: Excellent. right. Well, you guys, thank you again. And uh, we hope to continue the discussion online and in other spaces.
0: At the Visions of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun, creative, in education, or you just want to chat, tweet us at Visions of Ed or hit us up on the Facebook. And as always, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever your podcasting needs are being met.
1: <laughs> if you write us a five star review, we'll read it on the air, and the Apple Podcast algorithm helps people find this if you subscribe, unsubscribe, and write reviews. I learned that recently.
0: Yeah, that's what they say at the end of every podcast too.
1: Yeah. You can you can find me on Twitter, I'm at Dan <laughs> And I'm at forty-two think deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education Podcast signing off.